Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The The Nonprofit Nonprofit Reframe. Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo, because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back. Happy President's Day. Happy President's Day to you, too. Do you have to work today? Well, I'm a consultant, so (laughs) yes. So you work every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I don't work, I don't get paid. So there's a little extra incentive to not take holidays that represent and celebrate old white men in our communities. Oh, well, this is such a great segue for today's topic, which is not old white men. Oh, oh, great. (laughs) I'm so thrilled to hear that. (laughs) What are we talking about today? We are talking about work-life balance. Oh, what is that, Brittany? I don't think it exists. (laughs) (laughs) It's a myth, uh, first and foremost, but I think there are varying degrees of it. And so today we're going to talk about when it is super toxic. First off, have you ever seen it in practice? Have you ever experienced it? even to some small extent? I am actively trying on a daily basis, and I feel like I have, I'm winning at some You're things. You're winning? At some things. Not mm-hmm. always. And it can, it can shift in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> it can shift in a heartbeat. Um, but yeah, sure. I think people can find it. Great. To some extent. It all depends on what season of life you're in, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, when I had my kids, yeah, no way. I mean, it was ridiculous. Just all of life was crazy mm-hmm. um, when they were first born. But, you know, as they've gotten older and a little bit more dependent, independent, there we go, <laughs> um, I have felt more space and room in my life to consider myself and my needs. And so I feel like I have gained some of that back. That's lovely. Yeah. What about you? How's your work-life balance as you're working on a holiday today? Well, uh, there was that one week back in 2015 where I felt like I had it. It was so close. It, It is definitely an elusive thing. And I think because I don't have kids, it is easier to let work engulf your life and be your life. Absolutely. Right? Like, I don't have that guilt of not tucking my kids in for bed. I mean, my husband will make me feel guilty if I don't tuck him in for bed. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so I I do think it's a a bit of a different dynamic. But then also, I, I think that it was kind of bred into me from an early age. My dad was a small business owner, as were my grandparents. And so it was modeled for me from very, very early on how, how work is your life. But then because they were all family businesses, it was part of your family as well. Right. And so it was always this, you know, we, we went to the shop every Saturday morning and played in the office while my dad worked. And so that was just always part of how I understood work. Um, so when I got into adulthood and started working a lot, I don't think anybody was surprised, (laughs) especially my family. Um, and then being a small business owner, there's, there are pieces where you can find so much more balance because you you have so much more control over your schedule, and at the same time, less so because you're you're building a business, right? You're you're responsible for everything. Um, it, like last week, I'm 
going through doing client things and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, shit, it's time for 1099s. I have to send all my subcontractors and I have nobody to do that. Like that, sure. that's all on me as a small business owner. So it it's interesting where like there are moments where you feel more balanced. Like one day last week I went for a walk in the morning and then I made myself breakfast and had a cup of coffee and like didn't open my computer till 10 a.m. And how great was that? And then there are days like today where I'm at my computer at 7 a.m. because it's literally down the hall and it's just always there and omnipresent. And then when you work with nonprofits, either in them or for them, like I do, it's so easy to justify overworking, right? Because there's always right. a bigger cause. There's a bigger mission. There are people that need us. And I think that sense of being needed allows us to forget that we need to take care of ourselves too. Well, absolutely. And I think that it looks differently for everybody or the ideal looks different for everybody. I mean, you know, some people you talk about work-life balance and they say, oh, I would love it if I just had to go to work from nine to five and that was it and mm -hmm. leave it at work and come home. And then other people are like, well, I don't really want to work nine to five. I'd rather work on my own time and be able to put in less hours during the day. And then after the kids go to sleep, put in a couple hours. So I think it's something very personal mm -hmm. um, that everybody has to decide for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I agree with you that our sector lends itself to make it really imbalanced. Yeah. I'll say when I was, when I was in the, the last stretch of being an executive director, before I made the deci decision to leave, I, my health was really suffering. I wasn't sleeping. I had done like sleep studies and all these doctors were basically like, you're too stressed at work. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it really sucks when that's the diagnosis. But like the kind of pressures and stresses of working in a nonprofit have very real physical tolls. And I will say since leaving the sector, you know, not directly working for a nonprofit, that has really um, alleviated for me. Um, and I'm not saying folks should just leave the sector. I mean, I think we have a bigger cultural issue that we need to deal with in nonprofits that will allow people to work long term without their health and lives suffering. I've seen it so many times as well. In fact, uh, the reason that we're doing this episode today uh, was not we were supposed to do. What were we supposed to do? Hiring. We'll get, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we chose to change the topic because I've been doing these interviews as part of market research for this podcast. And sort of the overwhelming theme that I've heard from each person is this concept of not having balance yeah. <clears throat> and not being able, whether it's not being able to put your phone away at the end of the night when mm -hmm. you get home or uh, working really late hours or working weekends, um, not taking vacation time, mm -hmm. whatever that might be, it is rampant in our sector. And to go back to what you were saying, I think that's true that because of a lot of the work that we're doing is really truly life-changing for mm -hmm. people that we feel that if we don't if we don't get it all done if we don't do the best that we can do if we don't give 120 percent then we're affecting other people's lives mm -hmm. oh exactly so the consequences are that much greater mm -hmm. and um and so it motivates us all to go above and beyond and then that standard becomes the expectation. Right. And so now you've developed a culture where everybody is expected. And I remember that 
this came up at one of the places I worked. We were reviewing our annual performance evaluation tool. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions was, has this person gone above and beyond? Mm -hmm. And what we felt like what the question was doing was setting that standard. Yeah, yeah. That if you said no... They're actually just doing their job really mm-hmm. well, but they're just doing their job. That that somehow means they're doing less than everybody else. Right, right. And so we're saying you have to stretch yourself thin, mm-hmm. give more than you know what should be allowed in order to be considered a good employee. Yeah. Well, it, it gets to a point where like busy is this badge of honor. That we all wear. Like, how often do you go into a meeting and folks are like, hey, how you doing? And everybody's like, oh, my God, I'm so busy. But, like, that's what everybody in the sector says. And, I, and I'm not saying it's unique to the sector, but I do think that it is really, uh, like, it's an app at an, I can't even use words right now. I'm so upset about it. it it's so pervasive. That's all I ever hear. And, in yeah. fact, that came up um, – I was talking to different people at work this week, and that was everybody's sentiment was, I'm exhausted, I'm working way too much, 60-hour work weeks, I've got too much to do, and yet everybody kind of felt like they were the only ones doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. And that can get really toxic within a work culture as well, Yeah, where somebody feels like they're working harder than anybody else. Mm-hmm. When the truth is, is that everybody feels that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I think like we could sit here and go through, here's some tips to like reduce burnout or tips to find better boundaries, but it really is a bigger issue. It's not just one nonprofit or one employee. It is across the sector. And a lot of it is these external pressures we have. Like we are so metrics driven. If we don't serve this many clients, our funding is going to be pulled. Right. If we don't get this appeal out, we're not going to get our donors. If we don't hit our outcomes, what does that mean for the population we serve? Right? Like there are all these numbers that can really, I, I think just kind of amp up the, these dynamics where folks feel like they, they're, they always have to work because there's always one more thing to do. Well, there is always one more thing to do because as we always say in the nonprofit sector, we're wearing 10 different hats mm-hmm. and um, we joke that you come in and you know, be careful because if you show an inclination towards anything, then all of a sudden you're going to be in charge of that, right? So I can't tell you how many times. One place I worked, I was the default IT person. Oh, and I'm I've like, done that so many times. But I, that is not my wheelhouse. I mean, I did not have the knowledge that is needed for that role. Yeah. But I had just a little bit more than anybody else. And so they're like, you're on it. You're basically like, have you restarted your computer? And they're like, IT, <laughs> Brittany. <laughs> is it plugged in? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So we have all these different hats we wear. And then another thing that I was thinking of is how there's just this cycle of people working so hard because they have so much to do getting burned out, deciding to leave, which leads to turnover. That position is either not filled or it takes longer than you want it to be filled or even just like the normal hiring Mm -hmm. process takes a long time. So meanwhile, everybody else is having to suck up that job Mm -hmm. along with theirs to fill the gap and fill the hole. So now they're burdened with more work to do. Mm -hmm. Which leads to their burnout, yeah. which leads to them wanting to leave. And it just, 
it's the cycle. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I was running a small nonprofit and we had a woman go on maternity leave. Um, so of course, you know, that's kind of nice because you've got this three month window where everybody's all hands on deck, but you've got a, an end in sight, right? Like she's going to come back. <laughs> We've got this three months and everybody rallied and we did great. Um, and before she left, we actually put into place a policy that allowed her to bring the child into work a few days a week. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It, I felt like we were a small nonprofit, so we didn't have benefits. Um, or, well, we had very few benefits. Um, and I felt like it was such an important thing for us to be able to do to, to support families um, and to support her coming back and, and finding that balance and, and what that should look like. And so we did all of this work. We like created a separate room basically for her and the baby. So she oh my had privacy. We, we outfitted it with all kinds of things. And then she didn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is all. <laughs> I, and I did not see that coming. <laughs> I, oh. I do want to say, in case she listens to this, it, she had a lot of really good reasons for not coming back. And I'm not upset. It was just more the, the hilarity of the situation in trying to do the right thing so that she could find balance. <laughs> well, and that's another topic that I want to discuss um, on a different episode around maternity leave or lack thereof. Oh gosh, yeah. And all that. I, I, yeah. I have some stories to tell on that. And it was um, another theme that came up in these interviews that I've been doing around uh, maternity leave, mom guilt. Uh, you know, ties into that work life balance. Um, but I think it's a whole separate episode for mm -hmm. sure. Um, this is what I want. So this podcast is about <clears throat> challenging the status quo. <clears throat> Excuse me. Get some water. And I want to address, I am guilty of it. I've said it a million times and I, now it just makes my skin crawl every time somebody says it when they say, well, you know, we're not, clearly we're not in it for the money. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause we what, don't have bills to pay. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? It, it drives me crazy. And I will say I, I have said it too. Because I, I do think it's an important distinguisher for some folks, right? Like, I didn't go into the for-profit world to, like, chase a paycheck and, and make copiers, because that's our <laughs> continual <laughs> analogy. I, I wanted to, to help people, and I'm not in it for the money. And yet, that is also a cop-out. That's how we say, well, we're, we, we can't afford to pay people well. And that is absolute bullshit, well, I spoke to someone and it just broke my heart in one of my interviews where she said, I mean, I get paid well for what I do, but I'm having to go look for a second job so I can make ends meet. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was, well, how are you qualifying getting paid well if you can't pay your bills? Well, it's so funny because I, I keep having that conversation and so often, especially with women, I think they blame it on themselves and their choices. Well, it's, it's my student loan debt. You know, it's, it's my whatever situation. Right. I'm like, no, no, no. I chose to have kids right. or family. I have to pay for daycare because of that. You are living in America, right? right? Like that, that is what everybody is dealing with because our public education system sucks, because our healthcare system sucks, because we can't have affordable fucking childcare or housing or anything. Get we it, need Nia? to pay our people well enough to live. It's, 
Yes. I spiked on all of the levels for that. <laughs> we'll see if any of that audio is usable. Sorry if we just blew out uh, your radio. Yes. It also shouldn't matter where you live. You shouldn't have to say, well, that's a pretty decent salary if you live in... Rural North Dakota. Exactly. <laughs> but, oh, because I live in a major metropolitan city, you know, I need to get a second or third job. Mm -hmm. Well, how about this? So working in Boulder County, which both of us have done now for a while, how often do you look at the staff and 75% plus live out of the county because they oh, can't afford it? I think it's more than 75%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There were periods where my myself and my entire staff... All lived out of county because none of us could afford to live here. Anybody that I ever knew who actually lived in the city of Boulder mm -hmm. lived in a basement. Yes, or they had a partner with a fancy for-profit job that allowed them to afford to live there. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. I love that I just called for-profit jobs fancy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, those fancy for-profit jobs. You know, where they get free lunches on Fridays, donuts yeah. on Mondays. And they have yoga. No, I'm in it for the food. That's the only reason I'm going for profit. Free food. We actually have no idea what they have because I have never worked for a for profit. So once I, you know, one of the, like the big banks or something brought down all their nonprofit folks for the day and it was way up in one of the big buildings in Denver. And I made some joke about, oh, we don't even have buildings this tall in Boulder. Which I meant as a joke, but I mean, we do have yes. high ri restrictions in Boulder. And they looked at me like I had just like come in on my wagon from the plains. <laughs> <laughs> but then we get there and they've got this spread of food, including boozy cupcakes at noon on a Friday. But I love where this conversation has led. <laughs> More food. No, this isn't, this isn't about, well, it's kind of about food. You know this place I'm talking about. It's a for-profit for uh, company where I love their pens. <laughs> Shout out. You also know who you are. People listening right now work for this company. And every time Nia has a meeting there, I ask her to snag me a pen. And then for Christmas, you gave me a bunch of them. I... I actually asked my friend who works there, and I went in, and she had left, like, a little bundle for me at the front desk. <laughs> Those are some really expensive pens. And they write really nicely. Oh, my gosh. They're amazing. They're perfect for thank you notes. The weight to them I is know. ideal. <laughs> Anyways, I digress. Work-life balance. Well, thank goodness, because at the beginning of this episode, I was it was feeling a little bit therapy-like. Yeah. Which probably we everybody... We don't want to do that. But everybody in the sector should find an actual qualified therapist, probably. <laughs> that, is, that should be part of the work-life balance. That should be a benefit. Well, yeah. EAP programs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that we were chatting about earlier um, is how when your work is something that you're so passionate about and you're so close to, how easy it is to blend into your personal life. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people who say, well, I'm not friends with people I work with. Mm -hmm. They're coworkers. They're not friends. But I feel like when you're working for a nonprofit in work that is sometimes traumatizing. Yes, incredibly. It bonds you together mm -hmm. and you become more like a family. Mm -hmm. And then it's harder to distinguish between what is work and what is your personal life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take it way back to my first nonprofit job. 
I worked for this small organization back in Michigan. Um, and there was an, another younger person, uh, working there. Um, and we became really good friends, mostly because we would, we had these statewide tournaments that we'd travel around for. And of course we'd always have to share a hotel room because oh, nonprofit yeah. life. Um, but we became such good friends. And then like over the summer there would be projects and she would call me. And so I'd drive across the state, stay with her for a week, work for the nonprofit. And it was so wonderful. Like for me, that was my first real job. And yeah, like you're building friendships through this work because you're working till midnight, getting ready for this big event. And, and it was such an incredible bonding experience. And then as somebody else came into the organization who I didn't like as much, I realized how awful those boundaries are as well. Right. They are. <clears throat> it's, yeah. Well, we could probably do a whole nother episode on interpersonal dynamics within the workplace. Right, right. I know I have a lot of stories around that. Some really yeah. intimate stuff oh that goes gosh. down at the workplace. I mean, how often do people start hooking up within a nonprofit, especially when you get big enough that you've got like more than four people in the office. (laughs) It's so common. I mean, truthfully, it happens with so many of my clients. I've got a a friend of mine who does HR consulting. And one of the first things I said was, you need to deal with this dynamic that everybody ends up dating each other within an organization or within a partner organization. And it gets so icky. Yes. Well, and so all of these things that we're talking about, I think leads, I'm going to go back to it, it can lead to turnover, Mm -hmm. right? When you have these, this dynamic in the workplace that um, is so close and so intimate that um, sometimes... Yeah, well, I I think part of where you're going... With this is sometimes that gets really tricky. Like how often do you get a text from a colleague at night and it's half personal, half work? Like, hey, just checking in. Did you grab some cough syrup on the way home? And also, did you do that grant report? Exactly. Right? Like, so everything gets blurry. All these lines get blurried and we have no boundaries. Which makes it really hard to have those tough conversations when you need to have them. Oh, exactly. Especially when you're a supervisor and you're managing staff. Well, and I think this... I think this is one of the keys is when we talk about work-life balance, finding boundaries, it has to come from the top. They need to be the first ones to put that in place. I know, I, and I am not the poster child for work-life balance. Anybody in my life will <laughs> confirm that. <laughs> I'm sure you will as well. But there were moments where I would really try, um, especially when I had staff. And so one of the things I would do, and actually I still do with my clients, if I work on the weekend, I schedule the email to go out Monday morning. Yeah, that's If great. I work after hours, I do the same thing because I don't want to set up an expectation that I'm available or for staff that they should be. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and so going back to the staff meeting that I had earlier this week and the theme that resonated throughout all these interviews that I was doing of people burning the candle at both ends, feeling like they had so much work to do and that there wasn't enough time. The question becomes, why can't they set those boundaries for themselves? Mm-hmm. And I liked what you said earlier Earlier about how busy has become a badge of honor. And in fact, one of the interviews I had, uh, the woman said um, that when people say they're busy, it's that they're posturing for their own value. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's so true. Right? And I, it's Monday, and I'm going to say I've, 
I've been guilty of it twice this week already. And I haven't <laughs> even left my house. <laughs> but it's so true. It's really true in how we are defining ourselves by our jobs, by yeah. our role. Um, we have chosen to go into a profession mm-hmm. of service. Mm-hmm. But if we are not serving ourselves, and this is going to be on the brink of therapizing, but it's true, <laughs> if you're not serving yourself first, mm-hmm. then you cannot help anybody else. Right. And so, you know, I think when we say one of our takeaways from today's episode, that that is one of them, is that mm-hmm. you you have to build those boundaries for yourself. Yes, absolutely. And then as a nonprofit, you have to create a culture within the organization where those boundaries can be respected and not shamed. Yes, yes. Well, and I think this is actually a really important distinction too, where you end up with dynamics between even people with young children, people with adult children, people with no children. And there's, sometimes it's kind of an internal um, issue, you know, where you're feeling the shame yourself. But we end up making it so that people feel like they can't go home to their kids or they need to bring their kids into meetings or they like we, we allow them to justify putting their work in front of their families. Right. And, and then it ends up kind of what you were saying earlier with this, these dynamics of like kind of side eyeing these other people to be like, Oh, she's not working as hard. Oh, she clocked out right at five. Huh? Somebody must be less dedicated to the mission than I am. Exactly. And that's not the case. Like, we know that. We should all be upholding that as like, hey, Susan left at five. That's amazing. Let's all try to do that tomorrow. <laughs> as long as she's getting at least three of her five jobs done, I think that's okay. Awesome. We'll see you at Target when you're cashiering tonight. <laughs> that's so sad. And true. And true. I mean, I know that I have been in a situation before where I had a lot of turnover in one position. And I finally got someone, we got through a year, they, um, you know, they had climbed and got to the other side of the le- learning curve. And then something happened with their family and mm. they felt, they came to me and said, look, I, I, this is going to be a shaky couple of months. Um, I have something going on with my family and I just don't think I can, with good integrity, continue at the level of performance mm-hmm. that I'm at now while going through this. And so as much as I would hate to do this, I feel like I should step away and you should rehire for the position. And so I had a lot of respect for that. Yeah. And so I started the rehiring process for the fourth time in four years. And I thought, you know what? What's a couple of months? Yeah. Yeah. What is a couple of months? Absolutely. I would much rather give the person the time that they need and say, when you come back, you have a job. Mm-hmm. Then try to rehire, go through that whole learning curve process, go through a whole nother year of stuff. And so I just made it very clear that, okay, this is what I'm willing to offer, but while you're gone, you have to be gone. Yes. yes. You can't be micromanaging from the sidelines. Mm -hmm. We're going to internally take over your responsibilities for these next three months. Mm -hmm. But And then when you come back... You're back. Mm-hmm. And so we did that and it ended up working out really well. That is so lovely. And I wish, I wish we would do that more. I mean, it, to me, it kind of comes back to when you're talking about like the, the busyness thing. So much of that comes back to saying no. 
I I don't we don't that's know, not it, allowed, it, right? It's we don't do N-O. that. N-O. Oh, N-O. No, yeah, I don't know that word. Yeah. We don't know that word. So, no, I can't do this because I have a family commitment. No, I can't sit on this committee because I don't have capacity. No, Nia, don't take on that other project because you don't have fucking time. <laughs> but, like, we, we have a really hard time as a sector saying no. Um, and I, I'm not going to pull in demographics. I have a, some assumptions about certain types of people um, who look like me doing this more, but that, that comes back to it is we can't say no for a lot of really good reasons, but then we, we end up in these situations that really just harm us. So are there any final takeaways that we didn't already mention? Boundaries, boundaries for the sector. Hashtag boundaries for the sector. Oh, I like that one. Isn't that good? That's a good one. That's yeah, a good yeah. one. You haven't had a good hashtag in a while. I know. I need to get back on my game. <laughs> But yeah, like as nonprofits, let's recognize what it truly means to have boundaries with our staff. As staff, let's recognize what it means to have boundaries with our work, with our colleagues. Let's all go to therapy separately, to be clear, not together. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I think it'll just, it'll create a he- healthier uh, sector as a whole. Absolutely. And I think any way that as nonprofit organizations, we can create that flexibility for people so that they can take the time that they need when they need it, but then also make that culturally acceptable to do it. Because mm-hmm. it's one thing to say, oh, we have all these, oh, we have flex time and you get this and this and this. I've heard of a lot of actually for-profit companies do this too, where we we don't have vacation time. Oh, yeah. Take whatever you want. You take whatever you want, but then nobody takes anything yeah. because there's uh, the culture there is that you can't take time off, right, right, even right. though you have unlimited time off. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah. So creating an environment where that's acceptable as well. Yep. Totally agree. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week. Have a happy President's Day. (laughs) I don't even know what that looks like, but yeah. And remember, please give and give generously. Thanks, everybody. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.